Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Jamel Gibbs, your family-oriented entrepreneur. Welcome to another podcast episode. This is the Business and Investing Podcast, where you learn all things business and investing related. So today, we're going to have an interesting topic that I know a lot of you guys are going to be interested in. Um, We're going to talk about how you can get started in a hotel business. Now, I have a a special guest on the line today. We've had a previous guest who kind of dabbled into it. We had a really fun episode with that one, but we're going to dive into how the hotel business actually works and how you guys started from where you are right now, how you can get to where you want to be in the hotel business today through hotel franchising. Now, our special guest, he develops him. He uh, starts from the ground up and he gets these hotels running and profitable. And we're going to get into the nitty gritty. We're going to get into the meat on how it all works so that you guys can have a clear understanding of how you can get started. With my man, Sujay Meadow. What's up, man? Hey, what's up, Jamel? It's an honor to be here, man. Uh, I, You know, it's a pleasure. It's an honor. You've been doing some amazing things, and I'm just ready to ready to run it with you, man. Let's do it. I appreciate you, man. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, bro? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, as mentioned, my name is Sujay from Columbus, Ohio. I'm a Buckeye at heart. Um, so I know it's sometimes it's Ohio against the world. So if anyone's got anything to say, hit me up, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, no big, big, big football fan, uh, love sports and, uh, you know, passionate about real estate and, you know, I'm here. I want to, I want to spread the word about hotel investing. It's, it's an asset class that many people don't know about. Many people Mm -hmm. don't understand that you can own a Hilton, a Marriott, a Hyatt, and, you know, it's, it's a wonderful asset class that, that provides excellent returns, great cash flow. And it's, it's something that I think, you know, we should all be taking advantage of one way or another. So whether it's active or passively. Absolutely, man. Now, how long have you been in the hotel business? Yeah, so I've been, I've been doing this actively probably since 2016. Um, so not, not too long, to be honest, for, for the portfolio that we've created, you know, it's something that you can scale pretty easily. Um, I've, you know, before that I was, I was going to go, uh, pre-med. I was planning to become a physician, just like a lot of Brown people out in the world. Right. So, uh, <laughs> that was the plan. I was a neuroscience major from Ohio state and I pivoted quick. You know, when I started, I didn't even know what ROI is. So you guys are a lot ahead of a lot further ahead of me, you know, than when I was, when I started. So. Gotcha. Gotcha, man. Now what, what enticed you to, uh, get started in the hospitality business? Yeah. So, you know, like I mentioned, I'm really passionate about sports and, you know, the unique thing about real estate is it, it gives you time and it gives you freedom to, yep. to really do other things that you want to do in your life. And for me, I wanted to create an impact in society. Um, and that's something that, you know, it, it, it's really near and dear to my heart. Um, I feel like in the world we live in today, values aren't so common as they used to be. And I want to I wanna create a sports camp or do something in sports to create those values again in society. And so, you know, going into medicine and giving 13 years of my life, you know, just studying and, and being in this constant grind before I can even start practicing versus going into real estate, creating you know, passive income, freedom, where I can go and do other things that I'm passionate about. You know, that's what it's all about, right? We only get one life. We only get to do this one time. And why not, you know, choose something that allows you to live it to the fullest and, you know, maximize everything that you have. So absolutely, man. And you're talking my language when you talk about passive income, time and freedom. That's something I talk about uh, on my channel and on my podcast all the time, man. So, um, you know, great minds think alike. And um, that's why we're here sharing this information so that others can enjoy the same fruits of of uh, what they're looking to build on as well, right? Absolutely. Absolutely, man. So did you start off in the hotel business or did you start in another form of real estate before getting into hotels? Yeah, so to be honest, my first deal was actually a ground up construction deal. So I bought land and, you know, we, it was a beautiful piece of land right off of an exit. And, you know, we looked at it and I thought, you know, what can we do here? And there was, you know, I saw a few hotels around and they were old. Um, demand was definitely there. They were doing well, but there just wasn't a lot of new development. So I thought, hey, you know, what if we put a new hotel here? In hindsight, to start out, I probably would have done an acquisition because 
you could do a lot of value engineering, right? When you're building a hotel, if you already own and operate a hotel, you can look at that new build and say, hey, why don't I do this? This will, this will make my operation a little bit more efficient. Um, but without having that knowledge, the great thing about franchising or being with a brand is they have a prototype. So they have basic architectural drawings already, you know, all the way full, uh, full architectural sets that you can, you can get from them. And then you give it to an architect and they, they alter it a little bit depending on your site, but you really work closely with that franchise design team and they, they walk you through the whole process and you have to submit through them. They approve each step and it's, it's, I mean, pretty easy to be honest to, to go through that design process as long as you have a good architect knows what they're doing. And so, you know, our first project was actually a ground up construction. We raised capital for it. Um, you know, we, we projected that it would take three years to stabilize. We were profitable in, you know, like eight months. We, we gave out mm -hmm. our first profit distribution. So, you know, the beautiful thing is um, with hotels, you could really do syndications um, it allows, it, it supports that because of that constant cash flow. It's a business plus real estate. And with that business portion, you're constantly cranking, you're selling those rooms every single night. You have, you know, cash flow coming in every single day and you're able to pay back your investors with something called a prep return. Um, as well as, you know, at exit, you're building that equity in real estate, um, you know, through your 20, 25 years, 30 year amortized loan, you're building that equity. And then plus, if you increase the cash flow, you can exit at, you know, with appreciation. So. Gotcha, man. Gotcha. Now we're going to definitely dive into all of that stuff. Cause you know, I'm not only am I curious, I'm sure that the audience is going to be curious on how uh, to really get started, what it's going to, what it's going to take to get started and uh, you know, how they can get their first, hotel going, uh, whether it be through an acquisition or a buildup, right? So right. the question to you is, so when you, when you first did your, your, your first building, um, your, your first new construction project, was that a single family residential? Was that a multi-unit? Was that a hotel? Yeah. So our first ground up construction project, that was a hotel. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you started right off in real estate in the hotel business. Yep. I've, I've, I've done hotels, you know, that that's all I've done actively. You know, when we talk about multifamily, we, you know, we, I had some passive investments, um, you know, with great people like Jamel and, and other great partners that we have, you know, we, we can leverage their expertise and invest in mm -hmm. them passively. So, you know, multifamily had that experience through passive investments single family homes ever, you know, everyone's always trying to get single family homes. So we had a couple in the portfolio, but you know, the main active investment that we did was hotels and that and was an 84 room hotel that we built from ground up. I love that man, because most people believe that you got to get started doing a specific type of investment in order to grow. So a lot of people start small, right? They might think single family residents, then get into multi, then get into the hotels because that's the way the game of monopoly works. Right. But you jumped right to the hotels from the ground and you built a nice portfolio over the, the last you know few years and uh, continuing to build at this point. So you don't necessarily need to start small. You can go big right off the bat. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Especially nowadays where there's, there's a wealth of information, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, right here in this little device in the palm of my hands, I have all the information the world has to offer. Right. And so there's no shortage of information. There's no shortage of access of information. You no longer, you know, have to major. I majored in neuroscience. I don't use a lick of that in what I do every day. Right. So you don't have to, you know, go to a four-year college and specialize in hospitality management or hotels in order to get into this or real estate for that matter, right? We have all the information right here at the palm of our hands. Access that, access that, use it, you know, all these things like this podcast that we have going on here, plus, you know, Instagram, you know, Facebook, YouTube, you, we can get information all over and, you know, utilize that and then the other thing is not get stuck in the, in the learning, right? A lot of times mm. we're like, oh, I need more. I need more. I'm not ready yet. But jump into it. Dive into it. Start underwriting deals. Then you'll find out where your knowledge lacks. Until you jump out and try to practicalize that information, you'll never know what you're missing, right? Socrates always right. said one thing. I know one thing. I know what I don't know. 
right? And so mm-hmm. that's why Socrates was so wise. It's because he knew what he didn't know. And in order for us to understand that, we have to jump in. And I jumped in and I'm not, I'm not going to say it was easy. You know, it was definitely challenging. There were a lot of moments where I had to reach out to people who knew a little bit more than me and leverage their knowledge and leverage, you know, their expertise to understand, you know, what I'm doing and how to do it the best. So that's called coaching, man. Right. At the end of the day. That's it. You know, that's that's what people do, man. You you get the information and then you apply the application of the information is obviously way more important than having the information alone. And um, as long as you're you guys, and that's called taking action. If you guys are taking action, you learn as you go. You have somebody help you along the way. A couple of people help you along the way. And that's how you get from where you are to where you want to go at the end of the day. So was it an easy transition or what type of mindset shift did it take for you to go from, you know, pre-med to, you know, getting into the real estate business? Was it an easy transition to do that? You know, uh, did you have to shift your thinking on, on you know, how things actually worked? How did that all happen? Yeah, absolutely. It was a great, that's a great question. And a question that I haven't actually been asked uh, very often. And <laughs> so, I mean, the, the crazy thing about going into entrepreneurship is it's uncomfortable, right? That's the number mm-hmm. one thing it's, and, and when you're going into this pre-med path and, you know, obviously physicians make, make great money. It's hard to get there, but when you get there, there's job security. People are always going to be sick. You know, hospitals are always looking for doctors and, and you, you, you make great money, right? Mm-hmm. Stepping away from that path and, be, and being ready to be uncomfortable, that was the hardest mind sh- mind, mindset mm-hmm. shift, right? And you have to believe that there is a, you have to put in the work and you have to believe that the work will, at one point, you'll be able to bear the fruits of that labor. Um, and that was the hardest part. And for a couple of years, you know, especially through development, you're not making money right away, right? You're not cash flowing. It takes a year and a half for your building to go up. And for that year and a half, I mean, you have to live below your means. You have to struggle. You might have to sacrifice a lot of things. You know, you can't, you can't buy everything that you want. And, you know, that's the hardest part about, you know, this whole process, but you have to believe in that five-year plan. And that's real estate, right? Real estate is not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's not right. GameStop. It's not a meme stock. Um, you know, it's, it's building blocks for the future. And you're that's setting right. up five years, 10 years down the line. And when you get there, it's, it's amazing. It's great. I mean, you know, I'm working less than doctors working out, right? But, yep. um, but, but that initial process, you have to be ready to take that step. You have to be disturbed. And you have to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. And that's the hardest mindset shift. So, Gotcha, gotcha, man. Now, you know, we, we spoke about one of the obstacles that people may face. Um, and, and, and that was just, you know, being able to live below your means for a year and a half, you know, until the property is built up and you start cash flowing. Being able to stay in the game, being able to have, you know, your mindset right in order to be able to, you know, see the future so to speak, right? So what are some of the obstacles that people will face when they're starting out in this type of business? Yeah, I mean, when you're starting out in this type of business, you have to grind. It's an operationally intensive business, especially in the beginning, right? When you're getting your feet set, you wanna, you wanna be involved in every part of the business, whether that's housekeeping, whether that's maintenance, mm-hmm. whether that's sales, dynamic pricing. Um, you know, a lot of people nowadays have some experience with Airbnbs. And so take that one Airbnb and times it by 80 or 90 in under one roof. So it, there's definitely advantages of having mm, multiple units under one roof. Yeah, there's a lot of advantages to having multiple units under one roof, right? So when you go from residential single family homes to multifamily, I mean, cash flow is, is great. Your occupancy, you mitigate your risk with occupancy. Um, you know, your fixed costs are spread out, you know, over 80, 90, hundred units. Now, even, even if it's smaller, 10, 15 units, but your fixed costs mm-hmm. are spread out. Your variable costs are more justifiable. So if you think of your phone line, right, you, if someone has Verizon, it might be $50 a line, but as you add more lines, the price of each line drops down. So it goes to 45, 40, 35. Similarly, your variable oh. costs that go up with occupancy or use or demand 
that that ratio per unit or per door goes down um, as you add. And so, you know, but you want to be involved in each one of those aspects of the business. And when you're when you're involved, it takes a lot of time. So when you're doing your first deal, you have to be ready to invest that time, um, especially, you know, hotels are a little bit bigger of an investment than just, you know, one Airbnb or two Airbnbs that you buy. It's a it's a, you know, maybe three, four or five million dollar asset class that you're getting into, at least to start with. And you might have to invest a million bucks. Now, when you're protecting that million bucks, you have to protect that at all costs. Whether mm -hmm. you raise the capital or it's your hard earned money, um, you want to be involved in every part of the business. You want to make sure your reviews are great. You want to make sure that, you know, when there's an event coming into town, you're aware of it, right? Because mm -hmm. the, the beauty of hotels is you're able to increase your rates every single day, depending on the demand. And if you miss that demand or, or, you know, your rooms start picking up real quick, the phones start ringing and you don't know what's going on. All of a sudden you've sold 20 rooms at $80 when you could have been charging a hundred dollars. And so once, once it's, once it's gone, it's gone. Once the day's over, the day's over. So you want to be aware of what's going on. You want to make sure, you know, when there's events in your area, or maybe it's a slow time, you have to be able to drop rates when your competition drops rates. Um, and so it's, it's a little bit more of an intensive process when you start until you get your process and your methods, um, set up, um, it, it might take a little bit more effort and time, uh, from your, from yourself. Mm, got it, man. So let, let's talk about how to get started, man. So where should somebody, first of all, what type of financial situation should somebody be in before they start diving into something like this or what type of situation do they need to be in in order to get started before even starting to look for houses look for properties and, and things like that where should some where should somebody be financially or at least mentally because you can use private money to to do this as well how, how does that look for somebody just getting started absolutely so i think when you're getting started first of all you want to look for the hotels that are a little bit smaller right? Mm -hmm. The 60 rooms, 50 rooms, 40 rooms. And when, when we talk about brands, there's a hierarchy of brands. Don't jump straight to the Hyatts or, you know, the Hyatt Regency or, you know, the Hiltons. First start out with the La Quintas, the Days Inns, the, the Quality Inns, the Comfort Inns, Best Western, Sure Stay. Those are great brands to start with. You'll learn so much. The operation is a little bit you know, singular rather than having a, you know, full breakfast or a restaurant portion of the business, but it's, it's more one dimensional. You have rooms mm -hmm. and you need to sell the rooms. That's it. It's as simple as that. And, um, you know, that's a great place to start. So, you know, I think first and foremost, start understanding the brands, start understanding, you know, which brand is an entry brand. And so a few of these I named are, are great entry brands that you can get into right away, a little bit less of an investment. Um, number two, um, as far as investment, you want to make sure that you, it, 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 I would say it's a, it's a level two. So somebody would start with single family homes. And then once they have, you know, maybe a few single family homes, understand real estate, then they would level up to multifamily. Mm -hmm. Similarly, someone in the short-term rental game who has maybe a couple Airbnbs, you know, we hear a lot about boutique hotels. That's the time to jump into these franchise hotels. So you mm. want to have a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of expertise in real estate in general, understanding, you know, reviews, what dynamic pricing is, what ADR is, what occupancy is, understanding a few of these terms that will really help you in your operations when you do own a property. Um, financially, I would say it's about somewhere between a 500 to a million dollar investment. Now you don't have to be you don't have to have five hundred thousand dollars to get it. You could use OPM, right? Other people's money, mm -hmm. and this is great for syndications, especially when you're starting out for syndications. For multifamily, you might have to raise you know five ten million dollars to get your foot in the door for a multifamily deal, but here you're only raising five hundred thousand, or you're only raising seven hundred and fifty thousand, and it sounds like a lot, but when you break it down, that's that's ten fifty thousand dollar checks. You mm -hmm. know, we can do that. Start networking, start building those relationships, start talking to people, and you know, start surrounding yourself with people 
um, who have that kind of net worth, right? A lot of times what happens is we're, we're stuck with the people around us and we never really get out of that environment, but we have to find out how to get into the environment, how to get into those rooms, how to get into those circles. And that's where coaching and um, you know these communities are so valuable. You have all these people who wanna invest and you can find great JV partners who can also bring some capital. And uh, I think that's a great place to get started. And you know, to be honest, I, I think anyone can get started as long as you're ready to put in that work and you're ready to learn. Um, it's you know it, it's a great place to it's a great place to be in a great asset class to get into. So, absolutely, man. And I'm sure you can apply things like you said, private money. But I'm sure you can apply things like seller financing and things like that as well. You know, creative finance can can be uh, you know uh, applied to an investment strategy like this. But you know, let's say that that wasn't the case. What type of credit scores should somebody have in order to be able to get started with something like this? Yeah, your credit score needs to be unlocked, right? When you, I mean, mm -hmm. you're when you have a debt of you know two, three million dollars, your credit score has to be unlocked, especially in this environment that we're dealing with. So I would say it has to be above seven hundred. Um, and you know, we we you can push to get there. If you're not there, you can always JV with somebody. You can bring in a partner who has that and don't be afraid to leverage other people's strengths to your advantage. Yep. You know, I obviously yep. you compensate for that. You give them something, you make it worth their while to come in and to offer their advantage to you. Start out with a group, bring three, four people together. Now, all of a sudden you do have financial strength or you do yep. have strength as a guarantor. Um, so that, I mean, and then the other options are, you know, seller financing, creative financing, like you mentioned, all those things apply even in, even in hotels. Yeah. A lot of people want to get started doing things on their own, but even the biggest real estate investors, the reason they became the biggest investors, when you think about billionaire real estate property owners, right? They all had help. They all had a team at first. They built yep. up the ability to be able to do things on their own. And even then, they're still using partners. You know what I mean? So that's, you got to get out of the, I'm going to do it all myself mentality and say, how can we collectively build as a community, as a, as a, um, as a team in order to be able to accomplish, you know, generational wealth that can feed our families for generations to come. That's kind of how you want to think. You know Absolutely. I mean? And and that's one thing you learn from sports, right? A lot of times yep. it's not, it's not the MVP, like Dirk Nowinski, you know, the Dallas yep. Mavs, right? They beat the Heat. They didn't yep. have the, they didn't have the prettiest team, but they beat team LeBron, D-Wade, Bosh, Ray Allen. They beat yep. them, right? So yep. it's, it's about the team. It's about, you know, surrounding yourself with people who support you when you work well with people. That is oftentimes more valuable than, you know, just having that knowledge or having that one singular thing that puts you above someone else. Absolutely, man. I can't, can't agree with that more. Um, so I think that really helps out with, you know, mindset going into the business, you know, what to look for, start a, you know, entry level hotels, right? Do you recommend motels at all? Yeah. Yeah. Motels are great. Okay. I mean, it's great for entry level to get started. Um, just again, to, it, I, mm -hmm. no, no, go ahead. No, I was going to say just to understand how, you know, the business operations work, right? Right. So operationally, it's the same, right? Motels, mm -hmm. it's the exact same. You know, when buying a motel, I would say one thing is, you know, try to try to find something that's a little bit closer in proximity to you. Maybe, you know, a three, four hour drive, right? Because, you know, when you're dealing with motels, a lot of times it's a little bit more difficult to automate things. Um, mm. So you don't want a motel that's, you know, five, seven states away from you that you're not going to be able to go to. You know, you have a manager on site. You have to know what's going on. There's a lot of traffic that's in and out. And you want to understand what's happening every single day, especially when you're dealing with, you know, motels, you have a little bit more cash payers and, and those kinds of things. And so, you know, when thinking about that, you know, it, it's great when you have um, some sort of close proximity where you can understand the process, what's going on property level. But, you know, great entry point, And a lot of times motel sellers will be open to seller financing and you can use creative financing to get into the door for motels. So same operation, great cash flow. You know, it's funny because one of my assets that's 
the best asset that I have in my portfolio. It's a highway property in a, in a secondary or some might even call it a tertiary market. It's not a Hilton. It's not a Marriott. It's not one of my Hyatt's, but it's, it's a smaller brand. It's a, you know, it's a best Western. And to be honest, that's, that's my best brand um, as far as investment wise, right? That's my best hotel investment. And the nice. cash flow there is great. And sometimes it's not the prettiest, but that's what the dough is. So, yeah, that's right, man. So, people understand start with the entry level hotels, have at least a half a million dollars and a 700 credit score, or utilize partners, private money, things like that. Build a community around, you know, being able to, um, accumulate these assets and then move on to the next step. So what will be the next step? The very first step rather in finding the right location or the right hotel. Right. So location is something that's very unique with hotels. A lot of mm -hmm. times when you're thinking of the best location, you want to be in you know, like downtown Atlanta or Chicago or New York, you know, those are the natural locations that you think of for hotels. You know, who, who would go and visit, you know, some small town in Texas, but, but it happens, right? There's, mm -hmm. you see hotels all over the place. When you're taking a road trip, you'll see a random hotel off the highway and you're like, why would anyone stay here? You know, it's a, mm -hmm. it's a random town, but sometimes those hotels are the best hotels. And so the great thing about getting into the hotel industry is, especially if you're doing an acquisition and not a new build is you can look at the historicals for that hotel. So you want to ask for three years you know, three years financials, and you can see where the trends have been. If the trends have been relatively flat or even increasing, then you know that that location is good. Hotels is a little bit unique because you'll get a lot of people just come off the highway. We have a property where, you know, even when it blizzards, people just pull off the highway because they're scared to keep driving and boom, all of a sudden we're sold out for the night, right? Mm. Or a bus breaks down, they pull off the highway and now we have 60 rooms sold in a matter of a minute. And so there's, there's so many things. Sometimes there's corporations or farms or constructions or, you know, um, the department of transportation is doing a highway extension. So many reasons for people to come and stay at your hotel. That location is a little bit, I mean, it's, it's awesome because a lot of times the locations that people don't uh, think would be a hot pop in location. Those are the best performing hotels. But the great thing is you have historicals that you can look at and you can understand, wow, there's a demand here. And so you're not guessing. You're looking at the history of that property. You're looking at what's going on. And then you can do a little bit more research in that location and see, is there any new hotel coming into the area? Is there any new supply? Go to the city, pull permits, You know, see if there's anyone who pulled permits. Um, who's doing a new construction? Are there any hotels that are maybe being converted into multifamily? Now, all mm. of a sudden, there's going to be more of a need for short-term rental. Um, mm -hmm. So those are the things that you can look at when determining what's the right location um, for, for that property. Got you. And there's a lot of people who are, who are converting from hotel to multi-unit using the same property as well. So vice versa, right? Um, another thing I had in mind as you as you were speaking, you know, as you're looking at the the property records, you know, for the last three years, you can kind of see what the slow season is, you know, when, when are you profitable most? So these are all things that you can take into account in order to really be able to, to determine if the investment is going to be good for you or not, or at least have some type of expectation during, you know, I just recently asked a friend, I said, when is your slow season for your short-term rentals? He said, November and January. Right, so he automatically knew it. So come November, he understands it's going to be a little slow. Come right. January, it's going to be a little slow. But the rest of the year, he's doing great. Right, so you could kind of look at the same records and do the same exact thing. Um, Absolutely, uh, and, and that's that's a great point because you know, as an operator, when when you when you're investing in the Midwest, for example, and you have you know you have the snow seasons, the winter seasons kids are in school. A lot of people may not be traveling. So, you know, November, it starts slowing down. December is a slow month. January is a mm -hmm. slow month. February is a slow month. So that those three months are, you know, I would say end of fourth quarter, beginning of first quarter, those are your slow months, but that's also when property taxes are due. And so that's you right. have to be able to understand when that those seasons are coming. You have to be able to manage your cash flow. And a lot of times when we do profit distributions, we might do two, three, four, five profit distributions during the summer months 
But then, you know, after October, we kind of tighten down, we build our, you know, we build our cash reserves and we make sure that we're going to be okay for the winter. And then again, come spring, we start doing our profit distribution. So understanding that and making a business plan and making a strategy is so important in that sense as well. So gotcha. two things, man. Um, I know that you built from the ground up your first hotel, right? So my question to you is when you, when you were looking for the land, did you contact the franchise you wanted to get started with first and then look for the right location? Or did you have the land and then started thinking, what can I do with this land? Uh, and then kind of took it from there. Great question. So the first thing I did was I, I did a little study of the franchises and the brands within franchise. So there's Hilton and then there's a under Hilton flag, there's Hampton Inn, there's Home Two Suites, there's Hilton Garden mm-hmm. Inn. So there's all these different flags under the umbrella of Hilton. Similarly, Marriott has a bunch of hotels under the flag of Marriott, right? And so I understood this. I found an exit and I saw what's missing. I saw what is represented there and I saw what wasn't represented. Then I went out and found a piece of land and I called all the brands. And I said, hey, I have this great piece of land. It has highway exposure. You know, it's a first class location. Um, Walkability score is great. What would you, you know, do you have anything that you can offer me right here? And so I had two brands that reached out and they said, hey, we can offer this. Out of those two brands, you know, one of them, one of them said that the, the, the amount of space that I had was not enough. And then the other one said, hey, we'll make it work. So then we ended up going with IEG uh, for, that, for that specific new build construction. And so that's, I mean, that's a great question. So, you know, with the brands, you want to be, you want to get in contact with your, you know, the area development director. Um, and mm-hmm. you want to you start building that relationship. They also have target markets, which help you in selecting a location, right? They're, these brands are doing so much research and they're, you know, obviously if, if you make money, they make money. So mm-hmm. they want you to be successful. They want to find an area where there's high demand generators and they already have a target list of areas that they want to be. And so a lot of times you can get in as an entry person, you can get into the secondary or tertiary markets. You know, maybe the primary markets, established players may already be, you know, tying up those licenses, but the secondary tertiary markets are great entry points and they've already done their research. So you can piggyback on that brand research um, and, and have a successful development there. Got you, man. Now, I also in regular, let's say residential real estate or new construction, because I, I do new construction as well. Um, usually when you own the land, that because you own the land, the, the banks will typically use the land uh, in the form of a down payment to be able to lend you the funds to be able to do the deal. Does it work the same in the hotel industry? Yeah, it works the exact same. And so that's, you you could tie that in as part of your equity or your down payment. And the great thing about if you own the land is you can also appraise it again and try to increase the value of the land based based on other developments that have happened or other movements that are happening in that, in that area. So that's, that's the great part. A lot of times, you know, you can, you can build a hundred, $200,000 of equity right there. Absolutely, man. Which obviously uh, minimizes the amount of capital that you have to come up with up front. Or if you bring on partners, you're coming with the land as your contribution to the investment. So the rest of the money can come from your partners. So you're into the, into the deal with no money out of pocket, especially if you could get a a plot of land seller financed, right? That's just a a good example of it. That's exactly (laughs) what I I was going to say is, is find somebody (laughs) who already has the land, bring them in on the deal you know, underwrite it, pitch it to them and tell them, Hey, let's do this. I'll run the business. I'll operate it. I'll get everything developed. You bring in the land and boom, that's your equity right there. Absolutely, man. Boom. So now on the flip side of that, let's say someone were to, uh, not look for, for land opportunities, but they're looking to, uh, acquire an existing property. Right. So if that's the case, somebody's looking to get started on something where they, they see they can 
um, a value add opportunity, for example. Yep. Right. How would they start? How would they approach the owners of that particular hotel or even find the hotel to begin with in order to be able to do they go directly to, let's say, Hilton or do they, you know, do they are they going direct to the owner? How would they even get in contact with these people to be able to make them some type of offer or get the process started? Yeah, a lot of people overcomplicate this, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we have Google right here at our fingertips. Just Google hotels for sale in, you know, in, mm. in, in North Carolina or hotels for sale in Texas or mm. whatever part of the country you're in. Just Google it. I guarantee you, you're going to get 50 sites that have hotels that are listed for sale. I mean, you know, there's listing brokers for even hotels. There's buying agents for hotels. So reach out to your local real estate um, company, ask them, you know, ask them if they have a commercial department and ask them mm-hmm. if they have somebody who specializes in hotels. That's one. Number two, CBRE, Marcus Milchap, LoopNet, all these brokerage sites are going to have the properties listed. They're going to have the financials for you to, you know, kind of go through, get familiar with it. And so that's, that's the first thing that I tell all my students is, you know, if you want to get into this. First, just start underwriting deals because mm. only if you start underwriting deals, are you going to know when a, when a good deal falls in your lap that this is the one. If you're not yeah. looking, if, you, if you're not exposed yet, then how are you going to know when a good deal smacks you in the face? You're never mm-hmm. going to know, right? And it's, it's the same thing across all these asset classes, right? Whether it's multifamily, whether it's short-term rentals, single-family homes, if you don't know what the market is offering at this moment, you don't know what a good deal is. So you know, first and foremost, Google it. Um, and then once you, once you find the properties that are for sale, you reach out to the, to the agent, you ask them, you know, Hey, what's the story? What's going on? And don't be afraid to ask dumb questions, you know, ask dumb questions, get it out of the way. You know, you'll, you'll do that for a week. You'll do that for a month, but then month two rolls around, there's a whole new wave of listings. And now mm-hmm. when you call those brokers, you know, you, you know what to look for. You know what to ask. You're going to sound yep. like a G. Like you're going to sound like somebody who knows what they're doing. And yep. all of a sudden you're going to impress these guys and they're going to bring more deals to you. Right. And so, you know, it, it's all about exposing yourself, taking the first step, getting started. Um, agents are great. If there's a hotel that's in your area, um, it might not be listed. Maybe you, you're looking for an off-market deal. Um, you, can look, you can look it up online, right? You can look up who owns it online. Try to find that owner's contact information. Typically, calling the franchise isn't the best way to do it. You want to find out who owns that property. So whether you, know, you have to go through a registered agent or you can find the LLC and the actual owners that way. Um, but you, you want to you find out who owns that piece of real estate and talk to them and say, hey, I have an offer for you. You know, maybe they're looking to retire soon and, you know, maybe they're, they're thinking, oh, the economy's bad. It's not a good time to sell right now. I'll mm-hmm. wait two, three years, but then you, you call them and you might find them that they're, they're open to it and they were just waiting. They didn't think that they would get any offers and they're just waiting. And so it's, it never hurts to ask, don't close doors that, you know, you don't even know exist. Right. So right, for, first go knocking. And, and, and don't say no to yourself. Let them say no to you. It doesn't hurt. Yeah, and you want to come to them correct as well, right? This is not like, uh, look, you know, you, you never know what you can negotiate with people, but you want to, be, you want to come to them correct and, and at least a little knowledgeable um, when it, because this is not single-family residential real estate. You know what I mean? Yep. So you, you kind of want to know what you're talking about. So this is where the education like this comes into play. And, um, you know, just being in contact with Sujay, you know what I mean? So um, another thing that you guys, you know, want to keep in mind, something that, you know, I was just sitting here thinking about when, when you're reaching out to these sellers, you know, or you're doing these, these types of land deals is understanding how the underwriting process actually works, right? So this is, I think this should be the meat and potatoes of this whole conversation right here. Right. So what are like some of the steps that you would take in order to underwrite a deal? How do you even know if it's a deal or not? How many of these should you underwrite before you feel like you should make your first offer? You know, um, what what's some of the information that you're looking for? How do you do it? Sujay? Yeah, no, great question. And, and you know, underwriting 
is, is essential. Understanding your numbers is the single most important thing in real estate and trusting your numbers. Um, mm -hmm. Having faith that you can underwrite well and you know, that's, that's what tells you if you need to pull the trigger or not. And so underwriting is, you know, probably the single most important thing. So I always say you can never underwrite deals enough. Um, I even, even to this day, I underwrite at least one or two deals a day, every mm. single day, even if I'm not looking to buy, I will still underwrite it. Cause you never know what my underwriting is going to tell me. It might tell me that this deal is absolutely amazing and you need to find a way to jump on it. Or it might tell me, Hey, this is what the environment is now. You know, I'm underwriting all these deals that, you know, when I'm used to a 15% cash on cash return, now all these numbers are spitting out 8% cash on cash return. So going back to what we need to do for underwriting for hotels, right? So hotels have top line revenue. So that means, you know, your rooms that are being sold, how much money are you making um, in general from sales? And so, for example, we're going to use top line revenue of $100 for this, right? So, you know, I'm selling my rooms every single day throughout the year. I'm making $100. Mm -hmm. After that, you have your expenses. So this is what a P&L is going to look like. It's At the top, it's going to have your room revenue, and then it's going to have all your operating expenses go down the table. So your linen costs, your shampoo costs, your, you know, housekeeping costs, your, you know, and then you have your uh, sales tax, uh, property tax, management fees, payroll fees, all these things are going to be deducted. Boom, 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 boom. Then at the very bottom, you're going to have a number that's around 20 or 30 or 40% of what that you know, room revenue was. So let's say at the bottom we have $30, right? So $100 is our top line. At the bottom we have $30 is our bottom line is what we call it. So that's your NOI, right? And so you want to take that NOI and you want to understand, okay, in today's environment, in today's debt market, this is what this is what interest I would get from the bank, right? Go pull up a mortgage calculator. Find out what your monthly payment is going to be times that by 12 and understand that's your debt service. That is the debt that you have to cover every single year. So take that out of that $20, right? So let's say that's $14, right? So that's your debt service. Now you, it's important per to day. understand. What You're was talking that? about per day, per day, right? No. So per year, right? You want to say, okay, I got you. Yeah. Just for example. So you want to, you want to take that monthly payment. You want to times it by 12. Now you want to understand that your debt service has two components to it. There's mm -hmm. principal and there's interest. Interest is an expense, but your principal is an income. It's not realized until you sell mm -hmm. the property or you refinance, mm -hmm. but that's still income. But you don't get to see that money in your pocket. And so what I do in my underwriting to be conservative, I count that as an expense. Mm. If I count that as an expense and I'm still cash flowing, and I still have money to take home. If I have investors, I still have money to pay my investors and still pay myself. Then that's a deal that's worth looking at if I can cover my debt service. Right. So um, so so that's, I guess, in in a short two minutes, how to underwrite a deal. You know, that's kind of what I look for. I'm heavy on cash flowing assets. Um, I, I look for an asset and I say, hey, I know I'm a great operator. But if I operate as well as the sellers are and don't improve anything and it still cash flows at the end of the day, I'm happy with it. Then mm -hmm. I can go in and I can dissect it further and say, okay, these are the things that I can do better. Their payroll expense looks a little bit high. How can I come in and make that more efficient? How can I come in and bring my relationships to further uh, you know, increase the bottom line? And so then that's step two of underwriting. So once I decide that, hey, this is this deal is worth taking a further look at, then I can go in and see how I can optimize, you know, the bottom line or the NOI or increase revenue or make it an even better investment for myself. And then once I go to the step two, um, then I can say, hey, okay, now how can I negotiate? How can mm -hmm. I how can I get my foot in the door at even less? So now my, you know, my debt is less, my interest expense is less. And, you know, that's kind of three steps to my underwriting process. And I do this over and over and over again. I play with the numbers. You know, I don't justify 
Never justify your numbers. Never say, well, you know, inflation, I can increase, you know, the room revenue by 10% or 15% just to make the deal work. You never want to do compromise. that. No, don't compromise. Don't negotiate. You know, you're going to, you're going to dig a hole that's very difficult to get out of. Don't be afraid to wait for the right deal. But the most important thing is it's kind of a catch 22. You only know it's the right deal when you've looked at a hundred wrong deals. Right. So, right. um, so, so that's, I mean, underwriting is it, that's my, one of my favorite things. I love looking at deals. I love underwriting them. I love, you know, I can, I can, I can underwrite with just a calculator now. Right. So it takes me about 30 seconds. I spit in, I, I put the numbers in, it spits out a number and I know if it's a good deal or not. You know, my strategy is cash flow. So I look for portfolio deals. I don't look for deals where, you know, I get my foot in the door three years, increase, you know, increase the value of it and then exit. I, I want to create a portfolio. I want to have ownership in real estate. I look for deals that, hey, if I own this for 15 years, is it is it going to produce you know money for me every single year, mm-hmm. right? So I have a hotel, for example, right now. We invested about 1.2 million dollars. It spits out about 800 thousand dollars of profit every single year, every single year, and because money back in what what you get your money back in a little less than a year and a half at that point. Exactly, exactly. So why would I sell it? Why yeah, would I sell exactly. it? Exactly. I mean, if I sold it, I've already increased the value. So my my 1.2 investment, right? We bought this thing for four million. It's already worth seven or eight million now, mm-hmm. right? Because we because we've increased the value, the efficiency, the NOI, the room revenue. We've increased it so much. It's worth seven million. So I'll make three, you know, three four million dollars on top of our investment, on top of our loans. We'll make three four million bucks, right? But I can just hold that for three years. I'll make three, four million bucks right there, right? So, you know, that's the beautiful thing about hotels is the cash flow. There's so mm-hmm. much cash on cash return that, and, and you know, like if, a, if another deal comes, if, if there's a great opportunity, I'll sell it. You know, we'll 1031 exchange it. There's, there's great strategies um, even for that, even for exits, mm-hmm. for leveling up. I can turn this 80-room property into a 150-room property. You know, we can do, we can do things like that. So by no means am I saying I'm never going to sell this, but when I'm underwriting a deal and when I'm deciding that if I want to buy the deal or not, I'm looking at a deal that I can own for 15, 20 years and, and still maintain the value, pay, pay myself back two, three, four, five times over again. And, um, and, and, and have something, you know, like we talked about earlier before the call, right? You want to create a legacy and, that's right. um, and, and that's the thing with hotels. You can do that. So. Absolutely, man. So I heard a couple of different things, man, mentioned. You, you you talked about value add, right? So it's the same as multi-units, for example. You look for, even if the, the, the property doesn't need a lot of work, where can you add value to, to bring the property value up or add certain things? How can you improve the financials of the property, for example, to be able to make more money out of it, which will increase the value of the property as well? You know, this is, you know, you, you mentioned... Um, underwriting deals right it's very similar in single family houses you know a lot of people they want to to try to compromise on the numbers to try to make the deal work when in reality sometimes the deal just doesn't work right i can't tell you countless times man i've, I've had people you know especially coaching students they'll say wouldn't this deal work or wouldn't that deal work or you know i have people contact me every day i, I got a great deal for you but then when i look at the deal i can instantly tell it's not a deal Right. You know what I mean? Because they don't know what a real deal is. So that's where right. practicing your formulas, practicing the underwriting part of it comes into play. And uh, understanding that, you know, as you do this and you know what a deal is, you'll you'll know instantly. Like, for example, I had a friend send me a six unit apartment complex um, three days ago. Right. Uh, it was one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. I put it up for one ninety five. I didn't even, I'm not even trying to acquire it. It sold within an hour. Four hundred ninety-five thousand, wow. and it was a, a it was totally vacant and needs work, all of that stuff. But where are you going to find a six-unit apartment building, four hundred ninety-five thousand dollars these days? Right. Instantly knew it was a deal because I know my numbers. Right. You know how many times have I have I underwritten these types of deals? Right. right? So it's the same exact concept. Once you underwrite enough, you'll know what a deal is. So a couple of things what's a decent cash and cash return? How much income are you looking to make on these properties typically? 
Yeah, a decent cash on cash return um, in in today's environment is a little bit different than what we were seeing about you know a year and a half ago. A year and a half mm-hmm. ago, I was looking for you know somewhere closer to twelve to fourteen percent cash on cash return. Um, and now in today's environment, you know I'd be happy with eight percent, nine percent because you know the the funny thing about you know what's happening now is the values of the asset might have corrected a little bit, even if mm-hmm. it's 5%, 10% because of the interest rate, right? And so mm-hmm. owning that property is going to be a little bit more expensive, but interest rates is a short-term thing and you buying this asset is a long-term thing. So when you have a 10% correction on the value of your asset, that's for life. I mean, you're paying mm-hmm. $100,000, $200,000 less to buy this building but your interest rate is maybe two points higher or three points higher than what you would get in a normal environment. But in mm-hmm. two, three years, hopefully we're going to be able to refinance that debt and get that lower interest rate. But you've already gotten your foot in the door at a lower rate for your for your acquisition, right? So, um, so I'm okay with getting a little bit less of a cash on cash return to buy an asset that I can keep in the portfolio for a long time. You know, mm-hmm. the, the building is strong. The, the, the bones of the building are good. They're going to last me 15, 20 years. It's in a good market. A market is, you know, increasing in as far as like opportunity, businesses coming in, uh, leisure travel coming in. It's, it's increasing. So those are the kind of the things that I'm looking for. You know, right now, I would say about 8 9% um, after debt service is, is kind of what mm-hmm. I look for as far as cash on cash return. And a lot of that can be due to interest rate, right? So lower interest, more more cash on cash return, higher interest, less. You know, exactly. I mean? so you don't you don't want to price yourself out of the market um, in order to be able to make a deal happen. So right. you guys got to know how to adjust, basically. And and in two three years, that same asset will will give you that fourteen fifteen percent, right? Yep. Once you exactly. refinance it. So you know that's it's, again, it's a long term game. You have to adjust your strategy. You have to think on your feet, and that's what it means to be an entrepreneur, right? So. Absolutely, man. Now, one more thing, you know, I know we're we're covering a lot right now. We're kind of giving you guys like the meat and potatoes and everything in between the greens and everything with it. Right. Um, How are you filling your rooms? How are you keeping them full? Yeah. And that's that's the beautiful thing about franchising is Hilton, Marriott, Hyatt, you know, even Wyndham, Choice, Best Western. They have so many loyalty customers across the country. Mm right? The point system. When you go to your favorite sandwich place, mm-hmm. you know, five times your sixth one is free. You're excited, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're going to bring that little punch card every single time. You know, we always put in our phone number to get our points. Um, Hilton points are, are amazing. You know, you stay at my Hampton Inn or you stay at my home too five times and you can cash out your points at a Hilton resort in Mexico, right? So Bro, I just use... I just booked because I'm going to Jamaica in two weeks. And in order to get to Jamaica, you know, originally I was going to take my kids up to Pennsylvania to my sister's place and then fly out from there. So we booked all the flights from Philly. Um, But turns out, you know, my sister-in-law, she's going to stay with my kids home and my wife and I are just going to shoot. So we so we just booked a flight up to Philly for one night. Then we're going to fly out to Jamaica from there. I use my Hilton points. And booked a free room for the night. You know what I there mean? There we go. <laughs> there we go. And, and 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 how'd you find that Hilton, that hotel that you booked at? How'd you find it? Um, through the app, IG IHG. Yeah, you you just found it through the app, right? Like through the franchise's yep. app. So whether it's Hilton's app or IG's app or Marriott's app, you go on the app and it, it does your marketing for you. That's the beautiful thing. I mean, you know, and obviously you want to have a have a pulse on it and you want to, you know, reach out to local businesses and local schools mm-hmm. that might have tournaments. You want to do all those things, but those are cherries on top. You know, that's mm-hmm. how you take it from 80% to 95%. But that bulk of your business is going to come from the franchise. They're doing advertisement for you. They're, you know, they're putting it on, you know, expediabooking.com all these websites. Um, and plus when you, you know, when you come to Columbus, Ohio and you visit my town, you're not going to stay at a, at a Columbus Inn or a, or a Fairlawn Inn. You're going to stay at a Hilton or you're going to stay right. at a Marriott or you're going to say IHG or, or a Comfort Inn or something like that. Right. You're going to, why? Because you know what to expect. When you mm-hmm. go into that hotel, you know exactly what to expect. 
you know exactly how you, they're going to treat you. There's hospitality. You know, they, they welcome you. They greet you. They smile at you when you walk in. There's a safety factor to it. Um, there's the free breakfast, um, all those things. And, and when you are associated with that brand and you're booking that brand and you're paying what you pay, you get what you pay for. Right. Versus right. an Airbnb or short term rental. You don't know what to expect. You don't know, right. you know, how many other people have the keys to that house or you don't mm -hmm. know if it's going to be left dirty or I mean, are the towels really clean or not? I mean, who knows? Right. But we have these twenty, thirty thousand dollar commercial, you know, laundry machines. Our, our towels are clean. You know, we'll. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> right. So our lines and everything. Yeah. yeah. And if it's not, you're going to get points for it. You're going to get reimbursed mm -hmm. or whatever it may be. Right. So um, but but that's the beautiful thing about franchising is, you know, you're able to market your property. And so it takes that big headache off of your head about, you know, oh, my God, you know, are people going to know I get my website has to be in sync payments, all that stuff. And you have mm -hmm. the brand support because if again, if you win, they win. You have to pay a royalty fee every single month on your revenue. So um, they want you to succeed just as much as, you know, you want to succeed. Absolutely. And I'm sure you you go into sports arenas. You, you mentioned sports earlier. So uh, having, you know, your sign up in a sports arena works as well. But it, it's just brand recognition. That's what it is. You know what I mean? It is. And, you know, billboards and stuff like that, right off the highway exits, all of that stuff is advertising. Um, I'm sure that that's going to keep your room full. You know oh yeah, I mean? absolutely. Absolutely. And now with, with all these third party travel agencies, you know, Expedia, all that, they have their mobile apps and they're, you know, they know your location. They're going to push it through and get it right. to your phone and, you know, book now 5% off things like that. Yeah, man. And that's why I like the franchise model because it's not like, the way franchising used to be franchises, especially, you know, um, hotels, they spend a lot of money marketing. So they're doing their part. They're really earning that franchise fee that, you know, you might pay them every, you know, they're basically a partner, you know they what are. I mean? They're supporting their brand and you're just an owner of a piece of that brand. So yep. they're going to make sure that, you know, you're getting the business because like you said, if if you're making money, they're making money. And and that's basically how it should be at the end of the day. Absolutely. You know? And it, it comes back to the philosophy of partnership, right? You want mm -hmm. you want to use if, if they can take away this headache of marketing and they can get heads in the beds, then then you take care of them, they take care of you, right? That's it's that's a, right. it's a philosophy of partnerships. And right, um and, and don't try to don't try to make everything on one deal, you know. Mm -hmm. Have you know if they yep. if you can franchise and they're going to take care of you and ensure the success of your hotel, then that's okay. Now you can go back and do two, three more hotels, right? So uh, nice. that's a great thing. And, you know, one more thing I want to touch on, you, you mentioned the value add component. And so mm -hmm. the value add component is huge. I mean, you know, renovations are, are so easy to do. How often are you renovating? Yeah. So we renovate about seven to 10 years, every seven to 10 years. Okay. Um, you know, obviously it, it depends on, you know, when the hotel was built or when we acquired it. And we definitely want to build some cash flow before we decide to do a renovation or, you know, we want to time it out right with the market. We don't want to do a renovation in the middle of July in the Midwest when it's our, mm -hmm. our booming month, right? We don't want to do mm -hmm. it in the middle of summer. Um, so we try to plan out our renovations in the winter time when things are a little bit more slow. Um, so we can afford to take 15 units off, you know, offline renovate 15 units, then move on to the next floor, then do the next 15. Mm. So our operation is still ongoing. So when we do a renovation, we don't shut down our property. You know, we keep our property running. We make sure that we have our long-term clients or long-term guests are taken care of. They have rooms or we, we don't want to displace, you know, we want to displace as minimum revenue as possible. Um, at the same time, you know, trying to mitigate our negative reviews uh, because, you know, when you have people hammering and, you know, creating ruckus and in and out of the elevators, sometimes it causes a little bit of an inconvenience. So at a mm -hmm. slow time when there's, you know, less usage, less occupancy, um, you're able to you're able to kind of tiptoe around your guests uh, versus, you know, in an 80 percent, 90 percent occupied time. Got you, man. That's that's interesting because you know when you, when you think about it, you know, are you, you, I like what you said. Don't renovate until you have you know some type of returns coming in, right? So when you purchase a hotel, even if it needed value add right off the 
right off the rip. You're not necessarily renovating until you know you got some cash coming in, right? Yeah, not always. Sometimes we do. Sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes the because again, sometimes the brands require us to do it. So the brands gotcha. every yeah. seven to ten years will say, "Hey, we have a new scheme out. It's it's time to renovate." And you know, it's it's a pro and a con. I mean, the con is mm-hmm. you got to spend money when when the brand tells you you got to spend money. Uh, mm-hmm. But the pro is that they're doing this across the board, so it's mm-hmm. it's keeping the it's pe- keeping the reputation of your hotel higher because you know yep. you don't want your guests to have a cra- you know a terrible experience at fifteen other hotels and you be the only hotel that's renovated. You don't want that. You want the what? brand to go across and and keep that standard uh, for everybody, and so. You know, sometimes we do come in and, and, and that's a negotiating factor, right? We, when someone's selling the hotel, we say, Hey, well, you have this renovation, give me $200,000 off your purchase price. How much does it usually cost to renovate a hotel then? Yeah, it it depends. It depends on the brand. So right now we have a, we have a Marriott that we're renovating. It's uh it's seven years old. Um, it's eight years old now it's 2023. So eight years old. And this year we're, we're currently going through the renovation right now. It's about a million dollar renovation, uh, okay. but that, so, that, that's a $10 million asset. So about 10% is that makes sense, know. man. Yep. So you would definitely want to keep the asset up anyway, to keep the value of the property up. And that's the importance of putting some, some money away. You know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, you're not taking all profit. You got to work that into your numbers. So you have the funds when it's time to renovate, you can just put the money up. You know Absolutely. I mean? And and the other thing is renovations aren't always bad. You renovate mm-hmm. it, you're going to be able to charge for a renovated property. Yep, right. And exactly. so as soon as, as soon as July hits and we finish this renovation or, you know, we're, we're targeting June, but as soon as June, July comes, you'll see it across the board. It's going to say recently renovated, recently renovated on all of our Prices listings. Go up. Prices are going to go up and people will pay for it. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you think about it that when the carpet or the hallway wallpaper, when it's new, the hotel's just going to glow. Um, yep. and when the rooms, you know, that the scheme has changed so much in eight years, eight years ago, it used to be that yellow stucco color on all these buildings. Now you drive around in, in new, uh, new developed cities and you'll see all that gray, the box type. Yep style right so the schemes are changing every eight to ten or you know especially 15 years it's no more of that brick georgian look it's more of this you know grays and the whites and maybe a little bit of a splash of blue or a splash of red that you'll Mm -hmm. be seeing and so you know you want to make sure that it's catching people's eyes and you know when they walk in there that first impression is wow you know and you're able to charge 10 15 bucks more a night you know i would pay for it uh, for a mm-hmm. brand new or for a recently renovated 10 bucks more a night. Shoot. Yep. I'd do that. I'd definitely do that, man. So it's all about keeping your properties up to date, you know, adding that value add, like you mentioned, um, and, and just making sure you work your numbers. You know, I think we kind of gave you guys a, a real crash course on the hotel business. And um, if you guys want to see Sujay back, do me a favor, leave a comment in the comment section. I'm looking forward to doing a lot more with him. I met him through a mutual friend. Uh, you guys know TJ Tajani. Shout out to TJ. I had him on my podcast as well. And um, we're all going to be doing a lot more together. So looking forward to continuing to build this relationship as I continue to improve my real estate business as well. You know what I mean? So where can our listeners get in contact with you, man? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me on Instagram, uh, Meta. So S-U-J-M-E-H-T-A. Follow me on Instagram. You know, I'm always I'm always trying to drop some knowledge on there. And, um, you know, hopefully, you know, Jamel and I will be able to do some big things here in the future and y'all can tap in and follow the ride and hopefully y'all can jump on ship too. So I'm excited. That's right, man. Now, Sujay's going to be, now you're in Texas or are you still in Ohio? So I'm in Texas right now. Um, I'm in mm-hmm. Texas. We will be moving to North Carolina in a few months. Can't wait. Um, yeah, man, I'm excited. And so hopefully we'll get some meetups going and and things yep. like that as well. So, but I do travel a lot. I, I I'm traveling all around the country. We're looking at a deal in in Florida and Miami and Vegas and you know Ohio. Large amount of our portfolios in Ohio. So I'm in Columbus, Ohio, quite often. So if anyone's in the area too, I mean, would love to meet, grab some coffee, and you know, I'm all about building relationships. So, absolutely, man. I may do some traveling with you, man, just to kind of uh, 
piggyback off of what you're doing. Just learn. You know what Let's I mean? We'll, we'll figure it out. But when you move to North Carolina, we're definitely going to be doing a lot more together. I'm looking forward to it, brother. Um, if you had to provide our listeners with some last words of advice, what would those words be? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Kobe fan, diehard. And uh, one thing that I've learned from Kobe is don't underestimate yourself. You know, anyone that you look up to, they have two arms, two legs, they have two eyes, two ears, one nose. You got the same things. Anything you put your mind to, you can do. Don't be afraid. Just just start going, you know. Uh, be passionate, you know, have a dream and let that dream become a reality through your effort, through your work. And uh, there's nothing that you can't do. So, you know, I don't care what your situation is. But our superpower as human beings is that we have the ability to change our circumstance and, and, and to create a situation where we can flourish, right? And so, um, you know, and my, my company is called Bloom Ventures and it's, it's Bloom Ventures for that reason is, you know, uh, Tupac wrote a poem, the, the rose that grew from concrete, right? And so even from concrete, a rose can grow and flourish. And, you know, that's us as a people, you know, we can, we can grow out of any circumstance. So don't be afraid. Be relentless, be resilient, and just, you know, just start. Take that first step. So, you know, everyone listening, you're already doing that, um, you know, following Jamel on his podcast. It's a beautiful thing that you do, and you, you, you allow people to get all this information, and you inspire them. So this is, this is the first step. You guys are already doing it. So just keep, keep going on that journey. Couldn't have said it better myself, my man. Sue J Meta, everybody. Do me a favor. Leave a comment in the comment section. Let me know what you thought about this podcast episode. We're looking forward to doing a lot more together. And this is the stuff that's really going to help you go from where you are to where you want to go. This is what creates that time and freedom, that passive income. We're talking about hotel investing. A lot of you guys have heard of the game Monopoly. You start with a few single families. You start with some multi-units, but we're talking about the big boy stuff right now. And every single person watching this podcast right now can do this. Don't let anybody tell you differently. All right. So looking forward to creating a lot more content for you guys. Looking forward to more podcasts. And I'll see you guys on the next one. Take care.